Good evening. How's everyone doing? Good. We are in John chapter 6. So if you have scriptures, open it up to John chapter 6. Jesus had a little confrontation with the religious leaders. And after that is where we pick up. And what I want to do is read through. There's a few miracles that take place. John kind of links them together, I think, for a reason. And as we go through each of these, I want you to be thinking about the things that stand out to you. Any questions you have with these things as we go through, if there's a question like, why did Jesus say that? Or what was the point of that? Jot them down and then ask them. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them, but at least we can talk about those things. And so I want to, again, talk about the things that are coming to your mind. Okay, so John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Don't you hate it when God does that? Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a little. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and, and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so here is one of the famous miracles, Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's men. There were women and children besides that. It's important to note that this was about nine miles from where they had started in this area around the lake. They, they had been traveling for a while. The, the lake where they'd come across is about nine miles from one point to the other. It's actually about four miles from Capernaum where we just left off. And just to give you an idea of the distances we're talking about where Jesus is traveling, again, you know, Everything was done by walking. And so Jesus is walking and he leaves this group of people, goes up with his disciples, maybe for a little time just to sit down with them and to kind of get away. And all of a sudden there's all these people following him. I mean, this is worse than paparazzis. There's 5,000 of them. Okay, there's just a whole mess of people wanting to see more. And it says that the people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And so the things that he had done had started to spread. The word would spread as you would imagine they would. And so then people start to come. It's interesting. I don't know if you guys have ever gone to revival meetings or healing services. A lot of times what will take place is... We're going to have a healing service. And so the first service, you know, if some spectacular things happen and they lay hands on people and people say that they're healed, then they go and tell everyone, oh, yeah, there's a healing service. You got to (coughs) come because 
There's this healing service. And the next week, a lot of people are coming because they want to see, is there really healings taking place? You know, or are they just show? And, and so people will come because of that. Most of the times I've gone, it's been show, just to let you know. Um, it doesn't mean God hasn't healed. I've been in places where God's healed, but they haven't been healing services. They just got healing. Anyway, I talked about that a little Sunday. Anyway, in this passage, the feeding of the 5,000, are there any things that stand out to you or any questions that you have concerning this before I talk about it a little bit more? Well, it depends on the valley. He could, you know, shout in a valley and people could hear him. And here it doesn't even show him teaching. He just tells everyone to sit down. And so he could have told them, sit down. Everyone says, hey, everyone, sit down, sit down. Jesus is telling us to sit down. So we don't know how it went. But yeah, he, he definitely had a voice to carry. So it is an amazing thing to imagine 5,000 people following someone. But again, with the miracles that have been taking place, the curiosity. Now, also remember the Passover, it says it was near. It was coming up to that time, the Jewish festival. So people from miles around are traveling these roads to get to Jerusalem. So there's a lot of people traveling. Okay, remember every Jewish male over the age of 15, I believe it was, or no, Every Jewish male who was considered a man whenever they've had their bar mitzvah was supposed to attend the Passover if they were within 15 miles. And so there's a lot of people coming because it wouldn't just be the men. They'd bring their families most of the time if they were able to. Any other things stand out to you in this? I, I think Jesus being a man needed time where he could hear from God. I think going off by himself or with the disciples allowed him some time to, to rest, some time to hear. He would often go to by himself to pray. Even after all these things take place, he, he sends the disciples off and then he stays by himself and then he follows them. And so there's a lot of times where Jesus, I believe, wanted to hear from God. And so he would take time by himself so that he and God can commune and then he could hear what God is telling him to do. You know, it, it's it's easy for us to see Jesus as not a man, if that makes sense. We, you know, we know that he is God in human flesh, but then we forget that he is still a man and that what he did, he did as a man. He, he laid down his right to act as God and wanted to show us how men are supposed to live. And so Jesus lived hearing from God like we are supposed to hear from God. I often wonder when Jesus would know their thoughts, I wonder if he was able to pick up things that we should be able to pick up. You know what I mean? And you guys have done that. You ever see someone and you just know they're not telling the truth. They're lying. And maybe you get a glimpse of something that's going on. What, what is that? Well, maybe it is God speaking through maybe a, a, you know, something they do. I know when they're doing, I watch too much criminal TV, but they talk about, you know, if a person's eyes go to a certain place, it means that they're, you know, imagining something or they're lying if they go to a certain place. I mean, they people read body posture. And if you're acting some way, I remember talking to a friend and he said, hey, is this happening? And I said, no. And he goes, you lied to me. I go, I didn't. He goes, you look down and to the left. That means you're lying to me. I go, I'm not, really. I just was thinking. But So I don't know if you can read all of that. But I, I just wonder if Jesus is able to pick up on some nuances. One of the things that stands out to me here is verse 5. He saw them and he said to Philip, he, he wants to know. I mean, Philip's just a guy like us and... You know, he had been traveling with Jesus, and, and he knew this region. It tells us in chapter 1 that he was from Bethsaida, and so he would have known the local things, and maybe that's why Jesus asked him, but he asked him to test him. I just hate the thought of that. I hate the thought, God's going to test me. I just hate it when someone's going to ask me something, and it's like to find out what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, no. 
okay, I got to get it right. You know, is that right? Is that wrong? I, I remember one time asking someone a question and they started asking me questions back. And I was like, don't do that. I'm asking you the question. I, I don't want you to ask me. I'm trying to, and I'd get all nervous trying to figure out what are you trying to find out that I'm trying to find out. And so he asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And so the test, what do you think the test was? I mean, especially if Philip was around that area, you think his test was, Philip, can you tell me where the best bread shop is near the area? But, but that's where Philip's mind went, right? You see, Philip was still thinking, in a natural sense, the fact that Jesus has been doing amazing things, healing people, Recognition that he has just said that he was, in fact, the Messiah. He told the woman at the well, I have, or he told the disciples about the woman at the well at that time, I have meat that you don't know of. My will is to do the, the, or my food is to do the will of the Father. And so Jesus has left an impression on them, and I think Jesus is testing them to see, are you able to see beyond the natural yet are you able to see the supernatural are you able to understand the spiritual things that are taking place look at where can we get bread for all these people and so what would be the right answer i mean knowing the story now if jesus were to ask you you know if he would say alex where can we get enough bread to fill these people feed all these people. Knowing the story, what do you think an answer would be? Or I'm not putting you on the spot. You don't have to answer, but yeah. Yeah. What do you think would be a legit answer for that question? Well, knowing how it played out, knowing that Jesus did feed the 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be to go back to Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, what do you want to make it with? But it would be go to Jesus, right? It would be Jesus, you, you need to provide for them. There isn't enough bread. We can't buy enough bread, so you need to provide. God needs to show up. Now, I, I want you to think about this because I think this is going to be an important part of why John is including this story. 5,000 people, large people journeying to Jerusalem, okay, traveling. And Jesus now provides food for them. Does that remind you of anything? Egypt, right? Wandering in the wilderness, manna being provided from heaven, God caring for these people as they are journeying. So Jesus is providing for all these people who are traveling, heading to Jerusalem. And I think that's going to be something that's prominent in in this thought here. So Philip says, I don't know where we can buy enough. And then another disciple, Andrew, speaks up. Okay, Philip doesn't know, well, he's going to help out a little. And it's almost like you get this inkling of faith in this, don't you? It's like, well, this kid, he has five small barley loaves and two small fishes. I think it's interesting that he says the word small. Okay, okay. I know there's a lot of people. This guy has small bread, small fish, and then he adds the word but. Okay, there's that word. And and really, whenever you're hearing something, nothing else matters until after the word but. You know, Sam, I I really liked what you shared this morning, but. And then I just know that's what I have to focus on. Who cares about anything before that, right? It's whatever comes after the but that's important. And so Andrew's saying, hey, there's this little fish, little bread, but how far will they go? among so many. And so Andrew brings something to Jesus' attention, but again, he is limited in his ability to see that God is able to do 
more than what they can comprehend. And I think this is something that is important for us to understand because so many times our minds will only go as far as we can reason and God might be calling us to something more. But if we don't see it or see it as too much or too difficult or we have our own but you know in the way it's like well I I can do that but how would I provide where would I get the money and instead of trusting that God actually can provide or maybe going to God and saying okay Lord I want and I feel you leading me to do this here's what we need we need more bread we need more fish and so then Jesus just tells everyone have them sit down They all take a seat. There's plenty of grass. And then they all have enough to eat. It actually, that word had enough means they were glutted. Okay. It's my kind of eating. They they were filled. They were stuffed. And he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that they ate. Let nothing be wasted. And so this is valuable. This food is valuable. Don't let anything be wasted. And so the disciples, all 12 of them go out and they have a basket. This is something they would be carrying with. And that's why there's 12 baskets full because there's 12 disciples. And so they would bring it back. Okay. And so they bring it all back. And now everyone saw the sign that Jesus performed. And they began to say, surely this is the prophet, which means the Messiah who is to come into the world. And then it says, verse 15, is so interesting again. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. Isn't that so interesting? We're going to make you king by force. In other words, they are going to push him into a position. They were eager to support Jesus when he gave them what they wanted. When he had healed them, when he had fed them, they would support him and make him their leader. And I think that is the case for many of us. You know, it's like, I'm with you, Jesus. Why? Because you're with me. I'm with you, Jesus, as long as I can get what I want. I'll support you, Jesus, as long as you're on my side. And really, that's the motivation here. And Jesus knows that they're wanting to do this because of their just getting satisfied with the food, they're seeing miracles, they're going to use him to support their cause, and he's not going to support our cause. God never does. Remember in Joshua, when Joshua comes into the land of promise and they're standing there before Jericho, the angel of the Lord comes, the messenger comes before him, and then Joshua pulls out a sword and goes, are you for us or the enemy? And he says, no. No, I, I'm, a, I'm with the Lord. I, I don't back people. People get on our side. And so Jesus isn't going to be backed by people. They need to be on his side. And so it's important to see that they want him to use him for their purposes, but Jesus wouldn't have it, so he withdrew again to the mountain. Too many times we come to God when we have need because we want him to join us and we should be thinking what can we do to be a part of what he is doing and so jesus again withdrew himself by himself talked about that just that time alone so now let's look to the next miracle in verse 16 when evening came his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for capernaum By now, it was dark. Now, again, Mark tells the story that Jesus sent them on ahead. So it's not like they just bailed on Jesus. I don't know where he is. Let's go. They actually were sent by Jesus. And so now they're going, but it was late and it was dark. Now, it was dark is telling because what what John is pointing out is they had no way to navigate. Okay? They, They didn't know it was dark and they were just heading across And again, this is quite a ways away, maybe nine miles or four miles across, nine miles uh, if you go around to where he's heading. And Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. 
when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. You would be too. But they said to but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. Anything stand out to you in this instance of Jesus walking on the water? It was dark. You know, we have other accounts, right? You, we know of the account where Peter walks on the water. Okay, this is a different framework talking about that incident. I know there's some people say, well, because they don't mention Peter, he walked on the water a few times. I don't think that's the case. John is just telling the story and he's highlighting a certain point of the story. And this is what he's pointing out is that Jesus was walking on the water and he told them not to be afraid. Okay, it's I, don't be afraid. And so when he tells them that, okay, they, they, they welcome him into the boat. And that word means they invited him in. They said, well, okay, come on into the boat. And the word immediately that is there when it says immediately the boat reached the other side, it really means quickly. It doesn't mean like, boom, it was, whoop, you know, yeah, it doesn't like, you know, was that Star Trek? Yeah, <laughs> they're just, boom, you know, teleported there. It was just, it happened, it was really soon afterwards. And so it's just a different uh, viewpoint of that same story. And John is highlighting certain points and not other points where the other gospels highlight Jesus uh, ask, or Peter asking Jesus, if that's you, let me come out there. And there's a little more dialogue that's taking place. Um, why, why does he do this? Anyone know? Because I don't. I mean, it, it's just... This is one of those things where I always feel like, yeah, it'd be cool, but you always hear, well, Jesus only did things, you know, to glorify God. Okay, what is this doing? How is this glorifying God? I mean, all he did, did glorify God, but what is the purpose of this? What do you think the purpose of this is? Especially with, like you mentioned, the disciples. This is something that only a few people saw the inside group, the inside circle, those people who were going to carry this mantle forward, he gave them a little bit more information. You see, it would have been amazing to go and, and preach to 5,000 and be standing out on the Sea of Galilee, you know, like, hey, yeah, by the way, you notice I'm standing on the sea, you know. But he didn't do that for a multitude. There are certain things he just did for the disciples, and it was, I think, like you said, very relational. It was to connect them to who he really was. You know, in one of the other Gospels, it says, who is this man that even the wind obeys his voice? You know, that left an impression. It struck them, okay, okay, we, we, we figured you, you know, could be the Messiah, but I think you're even more than just a prophet. Something big is going on you know, where this wind and the waves obey your command. And so I think this was very specific for the disciples, for their belief and helping them to understand. In verse 22, we'll continue. It says, the next day, the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got up into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So something strange had happened, right? Hey, how did that happen? So it was one of those things where they're trying to figure it out. But they couldn't. And then notice, Jesus doesn't answer them. He just moves on. I think that's so cool. I think it's really good that sometimes you don't have to answer everything. And so Jesus doesn't answer them. And he says, very truly, which means I'm getting to the heart of the matter. I tell you, 
you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Back to the bread. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let's stop there and and talk about this. They asked Jesus, how did you get here? He cuts to the quick and he says, you're not here. And I think it's interesting. You're not here because you saw the signs I performed. Well, wasn't feeding 5,000 a sign? But that's not why you're here. You're here because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're here because you're looking for another free meal. You're here because I fed you once and you want me to keep feeding you. Now keep in mind this this story, the manna, that every day they would go out there and get the manna that God would provide, this what is it stuff that comes down and is there on the ground every day. And Saturday there's enough, or Friday there's enough for two days. And so they are there, and they're coming to Jesus, and he says, you're here because of the food. You're here because you want me to keep providing for you. And so that's the dialogue that's taking place here. And so he goes on and he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Anything in in these verses that jump out at you and just stand out? Mm -hmm. Kind of a priority of your living. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Alex. Yeah, it's really just talking about a priority that there's something more than just the food you're looking for. You know, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2 says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? You know, and so there is this theme that's going on where Jesus is saying, You're here for the bread, but you should be here for something else. There, There is a different bread that is taking place here that God is going to provide for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, okay? For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval, okay? God, through me, has given you this life. And so they ask, what do we have to do? What are the works that we have to do? And they're saying, okay, what do we have to do to get this? You know, work, you have to do something. What do we have to do to get this life, this this bread you're talking about? Remember the woman at the well? You know, what is this water that I could drink of that is going to not have to come and drink or draw from the well again? Where is this water? Give me. What do I have to do to get this? Jesus always seems to throw something out that people then respond to. With the question, he's very leading in his discussion. And so he doesn't just tell them, he throws something out there and then they have to inquire a little bit further so that he could give them a little bit more information. He doesn't just spill it all out. It's like he, he's throwing a little bit out there and a little bit more and a little bit more so that they keep following, following, following until they finally ask him. And so he's asking, they're asking, what do we have to do? What must we do to do the works God requires? Now, this one, you should 
underline and highlight verse 29 because Jesus answers, the work of God is this. What you have to do to get this life that God requires is to believe in the one he has sent. There's that word believe that's throughout this gospel. How do you get this life? Well, you have faith in the one he sent. That's the works of God is that you have to believe in the one he sent. Make no mistake, it is something you have to do. You have to believe in the one he sent. That's the work of God. Well, do I have to, you know, make sure I keep the Ten Commandments? Do I have to make sure I don't do this? A lot of religions out there, especially in the area of the cults, you know, require you to live a certain way, otherwise you will not get to heaven. And so you have to live this life. And if you don't live this life, you will never make it to heaven. Did you live a good enough life? I don't know. Am I good enough to make it to heaven? Well, this is the works that you have to do, is you have to believe in the one he sent. See, he's the one who dealt with the sacrifice, with your inabilities, but you have to put your trust that he has dealt with that. And so that is what you have to do. That is the work that God has required for us to do. Is that clear? Does that make sense to everyone? That's important. This is really foundational to what we believe as followers of Christ, is our work is to believe on him. Yes, Carolyn. Well, I, I think you've got it. I mean, remember, it's an illustration. If you start going too deep and trying to find every, well, then it means this, means this, he's bringing a point out. You know, and, and his point is using an illustration to make that point. You know, there's food that will spoil, but then there's something that doesn't. Well, what do we have to do to get this life that doesn't spoil? You have to believe on the one that he sent. And, and so the point is there. We can get into trouble when we start trying to figure out, okay, well, what did he mean by the word spoil? Let's look up the word spoil. You know, and we'll get into the word spoil and we'll start focusing on a minute detail and we'll miss the whole purpose of this conversation. People do that with, you must be born again. Okay, well, you can't be born, you know, you don't decide if you're born or not, so that's up to God. And you start going into an illustration and pretty soon you come up with conclusions that miss the point of what he was saying. You know, and so here he's talking about, yeah, there's, there's work that doesn't spoil. What is that work? It's believing on the one that he sent. It's work that is in eternal, will last. And so it's important to have that understanding and see that. Any other thoughts on this passage or that verse? So he goes on and he tells them, this is what you have to do. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Now, it's like, what have you done for me lately, right? It's like, well, just fed you guys, but you see, they have something in mind here. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. There was a strong rabbinic belief that when the Messiah came, he would again Give them manna. There was even a thought that Jeremiah had taken some manna that was at one time in the Ark of the Covenant and had taken it and saved it and that it was going to be revealed by the Messiah. So they had all kinds of rumors that were going on about this manna and the Messiah and Jesus just fed us in the wilderness. That's why they said, is this the prophet? Is he the one? He just fed us. In our journeying to Jerusalem, maybe he's the one. So what are you going to do? Can you do this? Because, you know, we heard about this. He gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus clears up their misconception. And he says, Moses isn't the one who gave you the manna. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so, again, they're still in this material. Okay, you're talking about bread. What do we have to do to do the works? And what is this? Oh, believe in you? Well, okay, who are you? 
where do we get the bread? Because isn't the Messiah supposed to provide for us manna like Moses did? And Jesus is trying to get them to understand that this is a different bread that he's talking about. And so he tells them it wasn't Moses. God gives the bread, the true bread that comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, verse 34, always then give us this bread. Isn't that so much like the woman at the well? Give me this water that I don't have to come back here again. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Okay, so Jesus is drawing them in, drawing them in. Okay, give us this bread. Ta-da, I am the bread. He was leading them here all along. You want this bread, this manna that God provided? I'm it. I'm it. Now, are there any things that stand out to you in verses 35 through 40? Any questions you have on that? How about in the wording of some of this? All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven to do not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks... Well, any thoughts on that part? You see, when he says that all those the Father gives me will come to me, I got to talk about this because it's very prevalent in, in our society. Um, there are a lot of people who have the belief that you can only come to Jesus if God has chosen you. That it's not a matter of your choice, it's a matter of God's choice. And so they'll take passages like this where it says, you know, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive out. I have come down from heaven to do not to do my will, but him who sent me. And I will lose none of all those he has given me. And so there's this thought, well, you see, it's God is giving him the ones, the exclusive ones. But really, all this is saying is that if we are Christ at all, then we are his not because of anything we have done, but solely because God has sent himself to win us. In other words, God has done the work. We're still believing in the work. And it's real important because verse 40 says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son. Okay, so it's not just, well, God chooses. It's everyone everyone who looks to the son. Who does the looking? It's us, right? It's up to us to look to the son. We're going to talk about this a little bit more Sunday with Everyone Matters because it's permeating throughout, I think, Christianity, this mentality that God has his own people and then everyone else is doesn't matter. I mean, we don't say it like that, but that's how it comes across, especially to those outside. But anyway, this is really what he's saying is, The ones who come are the ones who recognize that God has paved the way for them. But you have to look to that. And so my father's will is that everyone who looks, what does everyone mean? It means everyone, okay? It's no way of changing that. In the Greek, everyone means everyone. It's just one of those things, you know, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge. What does all mean? It means all. You know, I'm not willing that any, what does any mean? It means any. And so this is important to understand, but 
we get too smart for ourselves sometimes. So God is doing this. In verse 41, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I think this is interesting. They're grumbling because he said, I am the bread from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Boy, how fickle this crowd is, right? Hey, hey, Jesus, we're with you. Do something else. You're just here because I fed you. You're here because you want more food. Let me tell you something. I am the bread from heaven. That's not what we wanted to hear. I, I wanted, I wanted, you know, bread. I wanted some falafels or, you know, some whatever. You know, I, I wanted something that would feed my appetite. And now you're telling me you? That's not what I wanted to hear. And so, by the way, isn't this Joseph's son? How can he say he's from heaven? We know where he's from. And you see, when he didn't answer the way they wanted, then they started finding out what they could figure out. No, I don't have to. No, you're you're wrong. He's just Joseph's son. He didn't come from heaven. Yeah, he came from Galilee. Yeah, okay. Something's wrong with him. And so now there is a turning because they're not getting what they want. I'm telling you guys, that's so many times the case. We will go to a a church community if we get what we want. We will go to a place if we get what we want. We will engage ourselves with things if we get what we want. And the minute we're not getting what we want, we will detach ourselves, find a reason not to be a part of it. Why? Well, because, you know, it's really this and it's really that and really... Instead of being involved and seeing ourselves as a part of this work, we'll just look to get what we want. And that mentality permeates Christianity today. Get what you want. Get what you want. What does this do for me? I, I, I wasn't fed. Okay, you know, there's so much I could say there. It's like, is it just one person's job to feed you? You know, the reason they couldn't say that in the first century is because there was only one place you could go. You know, the church in Galatia, there was one home you went to. You didn't go there and say, I'm not getting fed here. You know, this guy, whoever, you know, is leading, he, he's really not anointed. I'm not getting, there wasn't, that wasn't the intent of why you gathered together. It's like, no, hey, you guys, we're in this together. What are we going to do from here? How are we going to move this gospel forward? They weren't there with this attitude. You know what? The music just really was lacking this morning. I know. Who is this new guy? What happened to the old guy? You know, oh, that guy who's, yeah, I wish we'd get the old pastor back. I know this one's just not as charismatic. You know, he doesn't, he's not as engaging. He's not as animated. He's kind of boring. I know. That's something that's very current. That's something that has developed because we've lost the understanding of the movement of God and us being a part of that. And so that's what's happening here. And so Jesus calls them on it and he says, I am the bread. They get upset. And in verse 41, they grumbled because of this, because he was the son of Joseph. Um, Let's see if we can go a little bit further. Verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I will raise them up at the last day. Again, we've touched on this. No one can come unless the Father draws them. Well, the Father is drawing them. Jesus is there. Father's calling them. They have to respond. Okay? Jesus is there declaring the word of truth. They have to choose to listen or not. No one will come unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. There's that word, all. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. So again, the one who what? Believes. 
The one who puts his faith in Jesus has eternal life. Not the one who God decides is accepted. It's the one who believes. And so the responsibility is, again, being put on these people. The one who believes is the one who has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Verse 60, we have to touch that. On hearing it, many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit. And life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one comes to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Oh gosh, we've got to finish. You do not want to leave too. Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Wow. The disciples, I, I love them. This is hard to say. And they start grumbling. You know, Jesus, as a PR manager, I, I would tell you, ixnay on the eshflay eating stuff. You know, just that's not winning people over. Why do you think Jesus would talk in a way that would strike them in such a harsh way? Why, would, why wouldn't he just try to do this a little bit more subtly? I mean, because this is kind of really tough. Anyone else think, like, if you were there, you'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> Eat the flesh. What are you talking about? Why is he doing this? Any thoughts? It definitely is to shake things up. Multitudes are following him, but a lot of them are just there for the bread. And how do you find out which ones are here for the truth that you're teaching or just here to get something from you? I got an idea. <laughs> yes, Eileen. I really think the key is in Peter's response. When Jesus says, well, what about you guys? And Peter says, no, your words are life. In other words, we're hearing something in you that is speaking life to us. In other words, what you are saying is giving us life. The other people heard words, 
but weren't connecting to the truth that was underneath them. So Jesus' words were meant to make them engage and think, make them curious and, and to see if it was connecting with the truth of who he was or if it was just their want, their desire, their things. And so it's real interesting. He says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And so what does that mean? They're all sitting there, okay, we got to eat his flesh, drink his blood. No one can come unless the Father has enabled them. Some of them were hearing the voice of God and some of them would not. Some of them, like Peter says, your words are eternal life, and I have a hard time understanding them, but they're speaking to my soul. And they are giving me life. And where else can I go? You know, there, there are times where in my faith I've been shaken, and circumstances are just difficult, and it's like I really want to give up. And, and I can see sometimes why people are living on the streets and homeless because, man, sometimes that seems like it'd be a whole lot easier just to not care. Just to, to check out and just bail on every responsibility you have and, and just leave it all. And there's something that jumps into my mind that says, where can you go? When, when you taste of life, how can you turn to anything else? What else is there? Where really would you go? And you see, there are some who heard that, and there are others who couldn't get past the fact that they wanted a meal. They just wanted food. And when Jesus' words spoke up to them, it's like, yeah, I'm not hearing that voice. I just want the food. And so... God's speaking, everyone who hears, he won't kick out, but there's a lot of people who just wouldn't hear. The Spirit's speaking and speaking, and so Jesus shakes the tree really hard and says, okay, in your face, people, are you going to hear past this illustration, or are you going to be stumbled by what I'm saying with the words and miss my point? How many of you really want to know what I'm about? And how many of you are so stuck in, oh no, that's wrong, I can't do that. And all those who were stuck in the, oh, those words, I can't accept that, and would miss the person, they missed everything. And it's not the way I would think about doing things, but it's the way Jesus did it. He really wanted people to understand the truth of he, who he was, and he needed to get them past this mind of thinking that was so closed and so locked into their tradition that when he said something that stood out against them, only those who really wanted to know more about what he was saying would inquire and would follow. But after that, a lot of, oh, that guy's he's nuts. He said we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Who does he think he is? And then there were others who says, oh, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. That's not what he's talking about at all. And they understood that something more was happening. I don't think they understood what he's talking about at all at this point. They're just like, I don't know where to go. Okay, you've got words of eternal life, but, man, that was, that was rough. You know, that's a hard thing to Jesus. And, gosh, imagine, I, you know, if I was there and he said those things, I'd be, oh, man, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, is, is he crazy? Is, I would wonder things like that. I, I, I know I would. I would just be sitting there saying, that doesn't make any sense. And I would try and figure it out. I would, and it would be difficult. Jesus, this is a hard thing to understand. And he meant it to be for a reason. Any thoughts, Eileen? No, I mean, I, I understand that. I think, again, Jesus is intentionally actually doing some things to almost stop the momentum of what's happening. And it's not to say, when it says they no longer fo followed him, I, I don't 
think it meant that they never would come back around. You know, so after the resurrection, they might have said, oh, yeah, and start hearing the gospel message, they might have come back to faith. Um, But at this point, he was just like stopping the momentum of what was going on and really, I'm going to weed the herd kind of a thing. Is that the right? Yeah. So just kind of thin the herd. That's it. Weed. Anyway, weed weed the grass, thin the herd. Okay. Um, Anyway, I, I think he was trying to stop that momentum from the crowds coming there and then saying some things that would really force them to, you know, make some hard decisions because he needed those people to continue. Well, let's stop there. <laughs> I feel like we barely touched that, but we'll, we'll see how we move forward. But, you know, Jesus is always going to try and push us to the heart of the matter, just like he did them. He says, you're here because of the bread. You know, you're not going to follow me because you just want what you want and you're having a hard time connecting to who I am. And we need to be willing to let go of a lot of the things maybe that we have heard that aren't connected to the truth of who God is and follow him. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in those situations. Yeah, we we have the... Privilege of having the hindsight to be able to look back and know, okay, he's talking, you know, figuratively about his body and his blood, you know, where they didn't know those things. But I think there's still times in our life and following after Jesus where we get locked into traditions that block out the truth of who God is. And we have to be willing to accept God for what he wants of us and not just what we want of ourselves. I think sometimes we we want to live a safe life. And the American dream has become our idea of what Christianity is. It's, you know, to to live in, you know, uh, just comfort and to enjoy, you know, all the things of life that we can get. And by no means is God saying not to enjoy life or the things that are around us, but our pursuit and our focus has to be different. We have to look for the bread that doesn't spoil. We, we have to look for the things that will lead to eternal life. And our, our priorities need to be God, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And then the food and all these other things, they'll be provided. So the things aren't wrong, but the priority. And and I think in Western Christianity, especially where there's a lot of affluence, I I think it's easy to miss that. I know, I I don't know why, but I saw part of this new TV series, uh, L.A. Preachers. Oh, man, don't watch it. It's terrible. (laughs) It's just, and I'm like, who are these people and they represent Jesus? LA preachers. LA preachers. That's what it was like. Oh man. Yeah. Was, anyway, but there's this mentality that it's all about the prosperity. It's all about if God's with you, then you're going to live comfortable. If God is with you, you'll be successful and nothing bad ever happens to God's people. They should always be blessed. And we've, missed this life that God is calling us to because we have something in our minds that we want to live instead of this scary, dynamic, faith-filled life. Faith is not comfort. Faith is unsure. It's trusting what you don't see. There's nothing comfortable about that, at least never been for me. And God is calling us to a place of faith. And many times that goes against what is comfortable. And so we need to be aware of that. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm not saying God hasn't given us all things to joy. But folks, priority and what God is leading you to are those things holding you back from the life that God would want you to live. If it is, then you're holding on to those things instead of moving forward. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, some difficult things here for sure to hear, but powerful in the meaning. Lord, the idea of having to be so 
dependent on you. That unless we eat of this spiritual food, we will die. Lord, that needs to be a powerful image in our life, that we need to have our sustaining life come from you. And Lord, if it's not, we need to be aware of it. And these words are powerful, they're forceful, they make us think, and that's what you intended them to do. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to digest, Lord, what we've read and these things that you said and how strong they are and to see where you are leading us with them. Because, God, you said these things for a reason. Why? Where are you leading us? What do you want from us? What does it mean to eat of your flesh, to drink of your blood? What does it mean for us to be sustained by your life and how does that look to us lord help us to process these things i pray in jesus name amen